You're listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast, recorded from the Everstwar Chapel Fine Arts Center in Mishawaka, Indiana. Thanks for listening. What's good? What's good? How we doing? So, one thing about those pictures, uh, might not have shown too well. I wasn't always bald, if y'all didn't know that. So uh, that just happened a couple months ago. I decided to shave my head. So if it's a little shiny up here, my bad. Um, so how are you guys doing, though? How are we doing? I thought it was going to be a little louder than that. Y'all still might be asleep, or y'all might not be used to being back from winter break just yet, but that's all right. Hopefully I don't put you all to sleep, and we can get, keep this moving, all right? So i am be honest. I feel like the majority of you guys probably don't know who I am, which that's, that's fine. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about me before we get started, okay? So... I'm 24. I'm a student here, like the video just said. But um, I was actually here about five years ago, and then I left. Long story short, I w- didn't do well academically, and I was pretty immature, if I'm just going to be honest with myself. But um, anyways, God has given me the opportunity to come back here five years later and study his word, so I'm really blessed to be back here. Outside of that piece of my background, if there's two things I'd like to really dive deeper in on what I'm passionate about, it'd be music and community. I love music. For those of you who know me, I'm always having headphones with me. I'm always listening to music. I'm always talking about music, whatever. I'm a big J. Cole fan, along with Kendrick Lamar. I don't know if anyone in here knows who they are. But uh, I, I hear you. I hear you. But um, I listen to all genres of music, really. And so back in the day, I used to be a drummer. Uh, since then, I've just been obsessed with music. I love how you can break music down by the lyrics, by the melody, how it all affects your emotions. And I believe that all music tells a story. And it all paints a picture as well. And if you really listen close to it, you can see it. Outside of music, the other thing I'm really passionate about is community. I love talking to people. I love being around people. The one thing I can really say is I really think that we all learn that we grow up in different areas. We grow up differently. We learn different things. We have different backgrounds, different things we do. And I think that when we learn to have those conversations and embrace that with each other, we all grow and understanding that we're all different. So now that you guys know a little bit about me, let's go ahead and dive in. So if anyone in here has your Bibles, I'd like you to open up Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1. For anyone that's on like a Bible app or something like that, I'm reading out of the NIV, or just in case you're wondering. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
And over all these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this school and this community, and most importantly, Lord, I just thank you for your presence here and what you're doing through the lives of the people here and just what you're doing in general, God. God, I pray and ask that your word and what you want to be said this morning speaks louder than my own messages or ideas. Overall, I pray that your name is glorified through this. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm not going to lie, it's pretty cool that I get to be in this position to talk about Martin Luther King Day. Honestly, I feel like we usually only give the overview of who he was and what he did. Like, we remember he was a black man, he was a preacher, civil rights leader, and he was assassinated. But we rarely talk about why this is still important or even why it's still relevant. Let's keep it a buck. A lot of people don't think about this day in general, regardless of race or ethnicity. I'm talking black and white people both. It's not just one or the other. That's another conversation. So my hope is that after this, we can all walk away with a new level of awareness for unity and a level of encouragement for growth as a community. As a bar, if y'all caught that. Unity, community. Y'all still asleep. Y'all still asleep. Y'all ain't even catch that. It might have just been corny, too, so you ain't want to say nothing, but that's okay. But anyway, while I was preparing this, I had to sort of go back and learn who MLK was. I had to go back, listen to a couple of speeches, learn about his background. And from all that, I feel I was able to take away what his main message and his main goal was, which is unity. Which, in all honesty, I believe is a big focus in a lot of scripture, if not the main focus in scripture. So let's go ahead and dive in and see if we can unpack what this passage is saying on that topic. So when we look at this, verses 1 through 4 are essentially what Paul is addressing in this passage. These verses are the focal point of the message Paul is giving in this chapter. However, for a lot of us, or at least for me, it's hard for me to not want to skip where Paul begins addressing our earthly nature or our flesh in verse 5. It's very easy for us to think, I don't do that, or even go to the point of saying so-and-so does that, thinking that I'm not like them or I'm even better than them. Y'all want the truth? I find it hard to believe that only a couple of us don't fall in these categories. I believe we all do. But notice I use the word categories. In verses 5 through 9, Paul lists off a couple of things that come with our earthly nature. For the sake of time, I'm not going to be able to break down all of them, but I will talk about a couple. But I don't want you guys to think that the others are not as important as the ones I'm about to talk about. They all cause problems and can cause division in communities. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. I don't know about you, but to me that feels like a lot of stuff to try to get rid of. And like I said, I think it's easy to believe that we don't do that. You might even be asking yourself right now, how does this even apply to me? Or, that ain't even me. Before we get defensive, let's breathe and address this first point. Not some of us, all of us are broken. You're not exempt. I don't know about how many of y'all clean or not, but when you do, do you ever like dust a certain area 
And then a week later, it comes back. And so then you're like, all right, bet. I'm going to try it again. I'm going to dust it again. Then another week, it's right back. And it might be even dirtier, right? So now you get a little frustrated because it's like, man, I keep dusting and I keep cleaning this one thing, and it keeps coming back. So what you come to realize is that after you clean, it comes back in a week. At this point, as most people that clean, I'm not going to talk about oak wood. I know it can be a little sketchy sometimes. But at this point, you realize in order to have a clean room or area, you have to constantly clean it. Constantly come back and do it again. Some things can be spaced out to be cleaned again in a week. Some things in a day. Some things can be done in a month or two. But you learn that in order to have a clean space, you have to continuously come back and do it. We are the same as that dirty room. Now, I'm not calling anyone here dusty or dirty. I'm not saying that. I'm not advising you to say that to someone. Because in all honesty, like I said, we're all that dirty room. That room being our heart. In some way, whether we want to admit it or not, I think it's very easy to fall into those categories Paul is talking about. The same way that dust continues to fall and makes things unclean, we do the same. We must constantly clean out our hearts of this dirt and uncleanliness. With that being said, we are constantly progressing towards being clean. I believe that we are all a work in progress. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. While all these things cause our hearts to become dirty, I want to pay closer attention to some of the ones we may think aren't as big or aren't important to us. They can all affect our community to a certain degree, like I said, but I want to focus on the rage, malice, slander, and lying. All of these are heart problems. Rage, the action that comes after anger. Malice, the desire to do evil. Slander, dragging someone's name through the mud or speaking down on people. In this case, race or ethnicity. Lying, not telling the truth. While sometimes we feel we have justified reasons for doing any of these, people are still affected by it. It hurts the community, and it causes others to look at people differently create social bias, false perceptions, or false images of others. So naturally, when you're given an opinion of others, you subconsciously hold bias over said person or group. We see how that's a problem? Let me break it down like this. When we see something happen to someone or we hear about it, maybe someone fell in the AC, maybe we hear somebody pours milk before their cereal, which I'm a little curious about. When you see or hear about that person, what comes to mind? Them dropping books when they fall, you imagine that milk hitting the bowl before the Captain Crunch, right? Exactly. We create these ideas or these perceptions of people we don't even know or don't even talk to. Then we separate ourselves from them in class, in the D.C., at sporting events, even at church. MLK once said that it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. It's crazy that we even bring these perceptions or ideas of others into the house of God causing division in the body of Christ. What's really tough, though, is that those perceptions can detour people from Christ, from creating friends or social groups, or push people away from community and people as a whole. That's a tough pill to swallow, knowing that something I say about someone can cause so much hurt to them and people around me, including myself, bringing attention to myself that I don't necessarily want. Think about how some of the things we are told about people or a certain race do this or said this or act like this. What's worse is that it's not just one race or the other, like I said, it's both. Both sides are causing a split in the body of Christ. As we look at verse 7 and 8, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. There's a couple of words I want to point out. You guys notice in verse 7 it states, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. 
you used to, you once lived. We are no longer supposed to live this way as Christians. Think about it like this. For those of you who, are work, who work out or you have a goal of weight or a certain amount of muscle you want, you can't keep eating like you used to, right? But what happens when you reach that goal? Do you stop? You just go ahead and go hit McDonald's again or you're like, I can miss this day. I can miss this week of lifting. You don't do that. Because similar to what I said about dust and having to constantly clean it with exercise, you have, once you hit that goal, you can't just stop. You have to maintain what you did. You can't go back to what you, just, what you came from. You'll discredit all the work you put in and go right back to where you were at the beginning. You got to ask yourself, did you really change? Once you hit that goal, you have to keep exercising to maintain it. Likewise, we have to continuously choose to walk in the ways of the new life Paul is talking about here. Have you ever been in those conversations of people where, say, where someone says something like, you're a Christian and you say stuff like that or you do stuff like that? That stuff stings a little bit because we realize our decisions affect more than just ourselves. We, I can't stress how important it is that we are no longer supposed to walk in these ways or live that lifestyle. This mindset of, well, they did this to me or they said this to my friend really pushes you to ask yourself, what if I was on the other side of that? If I'm being honest, most likely you are. Now, I'm not saying that everyone in this room is praying on your downfall. More of just pointing out that those sinful behaviors and that sinful nature is in all of us. We all have to grow and evolve. Now, verses 9 through 11 takes us to our next point. Welcome to the good life. I'm not sure how many of y'all know that song, but if you had, we, we cool, we cool. If not, we can talk about it later. Anyways, verses 9 through 11. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Yeesh. Hold on, time out, time out. Y'all might be too young to th- for this, but y'all remember the OG Tobey Maguire Spider-Man? Yeah, yeah. So I, every time I read this part, I imagine how he would hear somebody scream and run towards them, right? While he's running, though, he's changing into his, top, his costume. Now, first off, I don't know how he had the money to be ripping them shirts all the time. He, but outside of that, he always had his costume underneath. Which brings me to that... He had to be burning up, especially in the summer. He had to be hot. Anyways, that's how I feel when I read this. I feel myself tearing off my old self and becoming that new self that Paul is talking about in verse 10. When we make that choice in our life to be renewed or made new, as it says, that old self and old nature is stripped off. In verse 9, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. I'm not sure how many athletes are in here, but I'm sure you can all attest to that. When you got here and started playing, There were things you had to adjust or a certain thought pattern you had to change in order to perform to the best of your ability and help your team. I love basketball, so I can break it down and say that if in high school you were the best scorer or best passer, once you get to a higher level of the sport, you realize the old ways you address the opposing team is not always going to work. So you got to get out of that old thought process or grow from who you used to be in order to overcome. In the Christian sense, we must grow in order to overcome the enemy in our sinful nature. But let me specify, that enemy is not the person that looks or acts different. But the big thing with basketball or any team sport, you learn you can't overcome them by yourself. You can try. Let me know how it works. I imagine myself getting on the basketball court about to play five-on-one. I'm not going to lie. I barely got the lungs to play five-on-five, let alone one-on-five. I can't do that, especially full court. The point is that when you grow from who you used to be, you realize you need your team. You need your community. In this battle for unity, one person can't do it. 
It must be a group. However, a single group or race can't do it either. A single race or ethnicity cannot wish for the other side to change. As the body of Christ, this is a mission for the body of Christ around the world. You see the idea of unity or a team throughout this whole section. Tell me how many times you've seen the words all, each other, together, one another, or anything along those lines that points to more than one person. Paul stresses how important it is in this passage for it to be a group or a community. I mean, it is a letter written to a church. In verse 10 it says, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. I'll come back to this later. Just keep this verse in your pocket. But I want to reverse this back to verse 9, where we see the words each other. We see that it is not just they need to grow or in their relationship with Christ or be more like Jesus. The words are each other. Shows that it's a collective that needs to do this and hold each other accountable to the image of Christ. You ever been in a group assignment or had a project to do that you really wish that one person did their part? It's like, man, as soon as you see you group with them, it's like, I know I'm going to have to do this whole presentation. I know it. I'm going to have to do the research. I'm going to have to buy the poster, the material, all of it. I'm going to have to do all that. That's life, unfortunately. But while we have those thoughts or feelings toward that person, let's turn those thoughts and emotions to a different direction. Keeping in mind the earthly nature Paul talked about in verse 5 through 8, am I too being still, still being renewed in Christ? Or am I just pointing out in everyone else? While we're holding people of a different background or a different interest to a specific standard, we got to check ourselves and ask, are we holding ourselves to that same standard? As we keep moving, verse 12 through 14, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love how it says, clothe yourself. As people in the body of Christ, we clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's just who we are. I'm curious, though, what, is it, what does it mean when it says, bear with each other, like it says in verse 13? So I had to do a little bit of research on what that phrase means, bear with each other. Hear me out. To bear with means to carry. When we hear the phrase, bear with me, it's pointing towards someone asking to carry the burden of being patient with them until they reach their destination. That's probably my favorite part in this passage. You mean to tell me I got to bear the burden of my neighbor? I mean, we don't even look the same. We don't even like the same music. They don't even go to Chicken Finger Friday at the D.C. And I got to bear their burden? Yeah. Imagine if you have a body that the foot doesn't want to bear the weight of the rest of the body. That is what it's like when we're in the body of Christ and unwilling to bear with each other in our struggles. We must put on love, loving each other, embracing our differences. I'll be honest, I'm grateful for the people I did not grow up the same as. There's a lot of food I haven't had, a lot of music I haven't heard of, places or movies I haven't seen. But most importantly, I got to learn that we all have different journeys in life. We all come from different backgrounds, different cultures, raised in different places, under different circumstances. But I think that's what makes the idea of unity so special. We all have a piece of the perfect unity it talks about in verse 14. We see a glimpse of it. What do you think it would be like if we could look past what we see or understand and see the actual beauty of those who are different than us? Which that brings us to our third point. But I wouldn't stop there. I listened to this MLK speech, and there's specifically one thing that really stuck out to me. First, I'm going to say that that man could really preach. I don't know if any of you guys have heard any of his speeches. You should go and look at him. But I listened to this speech called I've Been to the Mountaintop. And he gives this illustration or idea that if God came to him and said, what part of time do you want to live in? 
he would choose the second half of the 20th century. Before he got to that conclusion, though, he started with going through a mental picture or, or a mental flight of being there in Egypt, watching the Hebrew slaves leaving, crossing the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and toward the Promised Land. But he says this phrase, I wouldn't stop there. He would go by Greece to Mount Olympus, and he would see Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, Euripides, and Aristophanes gathered around the Pantheon and watch them discuss the issues of reality. Then he says it again, I wouldn't stop there. He'd go on to the great heyday of the Roman Empire and would see the developments through different emperors and leaders, but I wouldn't stop there. He says he would go to the day of the Renaissance and get a quick picture of all that it did for the cultural aesthetic life of man. But again, I wouldn't stop there. Then he would go by where Martin Luther tacked his 95 theses on the door at the Church of Wittenberg. Again, MLK says, I would not stop there. He'd go up to 1863 when President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. But again, I wouldn't stop there. Then to the early 30s, then again, I wouldn't stop there. When he finally gets to the second half of the 20th century, we realize why he would go there. He is saying that by that time, we will see a true change in this battle for unity and inequality. Let me tell you all something real quick. Martin Luther King believed that we would reach that goal of unity by the 20th century. But if you guys pay attention, we are in the 21st century and still having this conversation about loving each other. Ain't that crazy? The person we dedicated a day to, we allowed the same battle he fought to continue to the present day. Martin Luther King was a great man. He made a large impact on the community. But Bethel, hear me real quick when I say this. I wouldn't stop there. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. That word let, signifying that it has not fully happened yet, that there is a battle on the sides of that word, a battle of peace between frustration and stress, a battle of love between hatred. Not all of us has let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts or became a member of the body of Christ, so that battle still rages on. If we continue through the verses and be thankful, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Bethel, hear this. This journey, this battle for unity is far from over. It didn't stop when MLK was killed. This stuff is still going on all around the world. Hatred for looks, gender, ethnicity, age, etc. What would it look like for the body of Christ to embrace those around it? What would happen if we chose to embrace those who are different and show them the compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience that Paul talks about? What would it like if we love those who we don't understand? The body of Christ must love each component of that body in order to fully glorify God and fully embody the image of Christ. The one who died for us that through his blood, through his suffering, we no longer have to live the life that has hatred towards each other because he died for all of us. We no longer have to pay the price for the sins we have committed to each other or even the sins we've committed to ourselves. Beth Lama, end with this. If anyone in here would like to be a part of that body who loves those around it, wants to be loved, but most importantly, wants to live in the love and grace that God offers, I'd like to ask you to say this prayer with me. If you've already accepted Christ into your life, I would still like to ask you to say this prayer. God, I am broken. I am sinful. I know that you are good. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me so that I can live for eternity with you. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Show me how to see you 
and the people around me. My life is now yours. Change me, mold me into who you want me to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Bethel University Chapel podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and get more information at chapel.bethelluniversity.edu or check us out on the iTunes store by searching for Bethel University Chapel.